Okay, hi everyone and welcome um, to our fifth or sixth, I can't remember, uh, Peak Collaborative. Uh, we're so excited to have you all here with us on this Thursday afternoon. Um, hopefully everybody is doing well and is healthy and safe and settling into the new school year. Um, and I, my name is Jamie McMullen. I want to welcome everyone here on behalf of our Pete Collaborative team. We're really um, excited to have everybody here today because obviously um, it goes without saying that COVID-19 has created many challenges, um, but we really feel that the Pete community is strong and resilient and we're all learning and adapting um, how to continue teacher education during the pandemic. And something that really struck us, if you were able to join us last time, was something that Mike Metzler said, and that was this idea of innovation and thinking of not how we're modifying or these things, but really how we can innovate our teaching under these um, differing, differing circumstances. And so we're excited to be here today to have a discussion about some of the ways that folks are innovating um, we do, and um, my colleague, um, uh, Kevin, is going to follow me, and uh, we really want to emphasize this idea of trying to um, stay positive and with this focus on innovation. Um, we're all aware of the challenges and some of the struggles that we've had, um, but I think that we'll do better as a community if we can um, consider some of the things that we're doing that are actually making our teaching better and um, being better for students. Go ahead, Kevin. Okay. <laughs> um, I, I was just going to kind of spend a couple of minutes building off of some of the points that, um, that Jamie made there a couple of minutes ago. Uh, and just thinking about how, you know, as Pete faculty members, COVID-19's had, you know, a, a very profound effect on us. That, and that's included some challenges. And, and, you know, I think we've had some time um, in, in this venue and likely in others as well to consider, reflect upon, and discuss those challenges. And, you know, some of them hit pretty hard. And um, yeah, I was not teaching, for example, PEAT courses. I wasn't teaching any PEAT courses in the spring um, when, when COVID started. And so I have a PEAT course this semester. I have my elementary methods course. Uh, and because of the pandemic, we're not going out and doing traditional field experience in a school setting. We're doing some alternative activities. Um, and it hit me um, the second day of class when I started to talk about what that was going to look like, that I wouldn't have that opportunity to see my students grow which is my favorite part of all of this. Like they come in on that first day where they're working with kids for the first time and they're really unsure and uncertain. And then by the end of the semester, they're tearing up and crying because they've built these relationships with these kids and they don't want to say goodbye. And I didn't realize until this semester started that I was going to miss that. And that's such an important part for me of, of this whole process and deriving satisfaction and meaning from our work. Um, and so I think that those, uh, th th those challenges you know, can't be understated. But at the same time, in reflecting upon this, we also feel as if we've learned how to do a lot of new things as a community. We found new sources of enjoyment in our work, different ways to connect with students, uh, and innovative um, uh, and creative solutions to the problems that we face that in, that in some ways are probably improving the way that we do in instruction and Pete and will last beyond the scope of this pandemic. Um, so the main purpose of our of our session today um, was to provide an avenue through which we can share our collaborative 
uh, our, our collective experiences developing those innovative solutions to contemporary problems so that we can learn from one another and continue to grow as a community and push forward uh, the global enterprise of PEAT. Um, and, and so we've developed uh, discussion points around four different areas um, uh, and we have uh, facilitators from our team that are going to lead each of those. So the first is development of relationships and a sense of programming, program belonging with, uh, with pre-service teachers. Uh, the second is going to be focused on facilitating effective field experiences. The third on, de uh, um, on delivering activity and method style courses. Uh, and then the fourth on continuous professional learning for PEAT faculty members or what are the things that we're doing to, to stay current uh, and to be able to learn those new, new skills that we now need to be able to do our jobs. Um, uh, and so with that, I'm going to turn it over to Emily Jones and she's going to facilitate the first conversation about developing relationships with PEAT students. Great. Thanks, Kevin. Hey, we're so glad that you're here and we want to hear from you. Um, this topic related to building community um, helping students feel like they belong, they're part of our programs, uh, is something that when we're in this virtual setting or for those of us who are doing hybrid, um, we're, we're finding it a, a different way to interact with students. And so I want to invite you to think about and then share if you've got a great example of something yet that you, your program, your university has um, uh, piloted or has it's maybe new this fall or it's been effective across the last couple of semesters to connect with students to help facilitate this concept of community this connection and these senses of belonging um, while we're I'm waiting to see who has these um, who raises their hands one of the things that we're trying at Illinois State this fall we're actually rolling it out um, to our, our Pete majors um, this week is the use of our Microsoft Teams platform. So Illinois State is a Microsoft uh, OC 365 um, campus and so all students and alum have uh, 365 access and one of those pieces on there is uh, Teams. Maybe you uh, have been part of a Teams site as part of a committee membership but it's kind of a file sharing. Um, there's chat functions, there's a video meet um, component within Teams. And we're piloting it by this semester by bringing in all of our PEAT majors, um, students, faculty, and our advisory council. Um, and we're using it as our, our platform, kind of like our house, if you would. Um, the main room of the Teams site is where we'll have common uh, major specific announcements, things that are showcasing our alum, showcasing our student successes, um, things that might be relevant to them uh, related to a content test or um, information about Pete Majors Club, et cetera, will be housed in that space for them to interact and engage with. And then the, the platform gives us different channels. So if you would envision like rooms of the house. So we have a channel that is relevant to our PEAT majors club. So our PEAT officers uh, are going to manage that uh, room, if you would, and uh, they'll host the PEAT majors club events there virtually. They're gonna do trivia. Um, they're gonna sell some attire through that site, but then also have an open chat um, for signups or resources that the Pete Majors uh, Club officers are going to facilitate and own and embrace that. Um, another room is for our student teachers. 
So uh, either current or those who are leading up to student teaching, uh, that's going to house information specific for uh, student teachers uh, that's relevant to them. Uh, we've got our advisory council room for those uh, uh, alumni who are interested and willing to stay engaged with our current students. So we'll have, we're building some mentoring and networking um, systems in place to have the students and alum interact on the team's site specifically. Um, and we've been able to kind of create this, uh, so far we think this environment that we might not be able to have current physical hallway conversations, but that will be a place where they're going to be directed um, and engaged together um, as a way to kind of help them feel connected. Um, the last room, we've got a couple others, but I just wanted to point out is for transfer students. Um, transfer students who are new to the institution this year um, uh, are finding themselves maybe a little bit disconnected or even first year students finding themselves disconnected. So we want to find a place where they can connect with one another. Um, and then campus and university resources that are relevant to them um, about the community, about employment, student employment options, as well as transfer specific scholarships and other relevant information. So um, that's what we're going to try to do to foster community within our group um, or within within our program. So I uh, would love to hear uh, some thoughts or ideas, things that you all might be doing or thinking about doing to build and um, uh, facilitate belonging and, and connection. So if you, if you have some thoughts, go ahead and, you know, raise your hand in the uh, hover over to raise your hand and we'll have you unmute. Um, I was just going to throw out, and it can be used in several of the categories you have, but uh, there's Flipgrid, which a lot of the public schools are using, where they can do little videos of themselves and they can put fake um, little images on top if they don't want to be on video and they can send little messages and comment on each other. But even more favorite to me is Go React and our university invested in it. Go React lets them do a video on a topic that you decide. So it can be an icebreaker thing or it can be more on point for something that you're trying to do um, curricularly. And so the thing I love about it is once they put the video up, then you can go in and type a comment and it will stop the video on that point. So the comment is exactly responding. So if they just said, I had a wonderful trip out to Colorado, you can type right in, that's fantastic, did you do blah, blah, blah. Or if they were doing a squat or something and you wanted to comment on their form in a, in a specific spot on the video, and you can do it both in text and you can do it by video. So it's more like you're talking to them if you give them video feedback. And other students can peer assess that way too, and they can self-assess. So it's just an amazing tool both um, for assignments and I think as icebreakers. I had them just tell me a little bit about the summer, why they wanted to work with teens for my pedagogy class, you know, what they thought was wonderful about teens and, and, and on and on. So it's, it's just a really amazing and, and very intuitive to use. I see uh, some nodding heads. So some of you have also used it. Thanks. I'm just going to leave it there. That's an awesome idea, Jan. Thanks for sharing. What a way to connect with them in, in a way that, um, you know, makes them feel more than just a student in your class, but investing in them as students. Uh, Dominic, go ahead. Thank you. 
Sure. Um, so one thing that, um, and Risto doesn't even know that yet, but Luan and I, my other colleague at George Mason, we've been, uh, and we'll talk about that at our next meeting next week, but we were thinking about doing, you know how, well, uh, I'm, I belong to a, a golf a golf club and my golf league, like when the pandemic started, we would do Zoom, uh, weekly Zoom uh, meeting for happy hour. And everybody would have their beverage of, you know, of preference. And then we would just chit chat. And, and um, so we were thinking about doing something like this because I think that our students really feel disconnected. And just to give them an opportunity to just see one another and, um, and chat. And if they want a glass of water or a margarita, I mean, it's up to them. But it would just be like a happy hour kind of thing where they can just uh, chat. So um we'll see uh we haven't tried it but that was just a thought that we had anybody has tried that so we did something like that with our doctoral students actually we had a um so this is kevin richards from illinois we had um uh some kind of like happy hours virtual happy hours with our with our grad students i hadn't thought about doing it with with undergrads but i really like that idea it's just it's almost like a informal majors meeting club kind of thing yeah, and uh, Elizabeth Sharp has on there that they do uh, PE club meetings every two weeks via Zoom. Um, so I think those are those are great great ways to um, keep people involved. We talked about with our PE club of doing similar to what Emily was talking about of doing um, like a trivia. So they would host trivia. Our Pete's Majors club has also um, done Praxis and the. Uh, literacy and math study groups uh, for those people who have already passed it, who are coming in and kind of going through. Uh, there's a couple um, cahoots that I don't remember who did in Virginia that has an open cahoot um, one. You can email me if you need it and it just goes through a bunch of practice questions. So they just sit there and somebody guides it through. Um, so those are, those are all great ideas, but I think it's, it's, really important to figure out how to do that virtually um, because we don't have uh, in-person meetings uh, normally. And one of the other things that they came up with was doing a virtual 5K. Um, Mason just launched, we were thinking about doing our own and Mason just launched that they were gonna do one um, end of October. So you can look at things like that to piggyback on and um, you know get people physically active as well in addition to you know, meeting over Zoom. Um, someone asked in the chat about the cost and things with GoReact, if anyone has that information. I don't have that, but I do know that it's relatively um, affordable. Um, it would be worth looking into. It looks like some of the folks on here have, um, or the institution has invested in it, but I think, I think per person it could be a $20 or less if the students were asked to invest in it. I might be speaking out of turn on that. Um, something that's a little bit different than what has been brought up, many, maybe not all, are using Zoom and that kind of takes us into students' homes and perhaps uh, personal spaces or bedrooms. Um, and one of the things that we've done, and I know that at least with um, like a professional Zoom account and some of the ones that institutions are providing, you can do a virtual background. And some of you in different collaborative meetings have been in the Bahamas, it looks like, 
Um, well, we created some that were PE uh, teacher ed specific, um, and they weren't fancy. Um, kind of utilized the ideas from our, our K-12P faculty or colleagues who've done kind of the Bitmoji classrooms and downloaded some backgrounds and then kind of branded it for our PEAT students and then gave those to our PEAT majors as an option for if they didn't feel comfortable sharing their, their background but still wanted to be on screen. Um, that was something that kind of helped facilitate a greater sense of turn on your camera even if maybe your background or backdrop isn't something that you feel comfortable sharing with your classmates and faculty. All right, well, we'll continue to, if something comes up or if you have questions about how uh, maybe an idea that you have could look or if other people have tried it, um, let's transition here our time to um, thinking and talking about ways that we interact and engage. Uh, how have we been effective in facilitating some of our field experiences within our PEAT programs? And I'm gonna turn it over to uh, Jen Kraus and Kaysen O'Neill. Hello everyone, my name is Kaysen O'Neill and um, I am from East Tennessee State University and I am here with my uh, colleague, um, Jen Kraus. Do you wanna say hi? Yeah, hi everyone um, from the University of Northern Colorado and um, Kaysen's gonna do most of the talking, uh, but I'll, I'm gonna chime in with a couple ideas as well. So um, I guess we can open it up, um, I guess to the group and um, then Kaysen and I can chime in with some of our ideas. Um, we'd love to know, um, you know, what are you doing? What's innovative that you're doing um, to facilitate effective field experiences? Yeah, one thing, uh, and we really need you guys for this one. This is not like we're the experts. We need some creative ideas, how you're handling, you know, field experiences, especially I think a lot of us are struggling with student teaching. Um, I, I, at least for me, has been easier, but those, you know, sophomore and junior level courses, what are you guys doing to get, you know, classroom experience, viewing class? Um, yeah, we need to hear from you guys. So, um, Irene, uh, you're up and man, I would love to hear your, your ideas, everybody. Hi, I'm Irene Cucina from Plymouth State University in Plymouth, New Hampshire. And I was lucky enough to teach high school physical education in New Hampshire, in Massachusetts, and to have been the past AFERD president. So what I did was make phone calls to all the high school and middle school teachers I know across the country. And now my 12 that are going out in the spring that have not been in schools, because COVID hit in March and they were pulled out in March from their elementary experience and their health ed experience. And they've been, they, we can't get into schools this fall. Every school around us has a no visitor policy. So my students have been matched up with a teacher from across the country and they are helping them develop remote lessons. The schools are giving them emails so that they can go in and in our Zoom ready classrooms, my students are videotaping um, enrichment activities and challenges for the teacher that they're working with. And so they're specifically working with someone um, across the country. And now my student teacher supervisors from spring have heard that this is happening. And now the mentors are calling me and saying, can they start working with me early and then they can continue on in the um, 
spring. We're lucky at Plymouth State. We tested all 4,000 of our students twice already. We have only one positive. Um, Irene, can you tell me, I'm actually really curious how you link the teacher to the student. How do you go about doing that? We have them link up on Zoom or Google Classroom. And I just used an email and pulled um, all of my Facebook and um, network friends that I have met through Shape America and Aford. And I'm like, hey, would you like to have an indentured servant write you some remote lessons? And they're all working across K-12 and have been assigned a mentor at the secondary level and elementary. And they're working with the teachers and making contact this week and starting with one lesson and then two lessons and then three lessons. And I think it's one of the reasons all my candidates got jobs in the spring because I kind of saw it happening. Our president is the brother of Dr. Deborah Burks. So before spring break, he wrote a note to us all telling us to tell our students to bring their materials home. So in early March, we had a heads up that this was going to happen. And I started saving and making folders, elementary, middle, and high school. And our teachers were not prepared. Our K-12 teachers were not prepared. So I had weekly Zoom meetings with every mentor teacher that wanted to join in in the state of New Hampshire that has ever mentored a Plymouth State kid. And we met and we gave ideas and I assigned pre-service teachers and they just wrote lessons and it was a great relationship building. My student teachers killed it because they knew how to use technology. So the trick was the hardest piece for everybody is for the school to give your student teacher the school email to allow them access to either Google Classroom or Schoolology. And I've been lucky in a small state that they kind of know me. And I went right through to the principals. I've given up with my director of teacher ed taking care of it. I just go right to the principals. And they've been very open to us working with their teachers. So that's what we're doing at Plymouth. Well, that's outstanding. I think a lot of people will. <laughs> I myself, am go I want to go in that same direction. So um, I'm going to go next to Colin Webster. Colin Webster from the University of South Carolina. Uh, just getting back into teaching after three years in administration. So this was a big wake up call for me. It was already a little bit stale. <laughs> but um, I'm teaching secondary methods. Fortunately, I've taught that a number of times in the past, never online. And uh, this semester, it's 100% virtual for me. The school district that I'm working with, um, I'm working with a middle school and a high school, and I've worked with them both in the past. They're great, very cooperative, um, and they allow us a lot of latitude. But the school district is starting their semester 100% online. I think they're in week three now of their semester. Um, and we're kind of uh, postponing our teaching experiences for the teacher candidates until the beginning of October. Usually we start around um, the beginning of September, mid-September at the latest. But we need a little more time to plan and get people used to the um, virtual world and kind of think about the tools we're going to use and how best to facilitate that. But um, at this point, the plan is we will be doing synchronous teaching to middle school students and to high school students at the two schools where we're working. Um, we're using Microsoft Teams, which is the platform that the district uses. And um, we're really not going to change most of the expectations for quality teaching. The rubric will be the same in terms of what we ask of our students by and large. 
Um, we'll still ask them to give clear task presentations and to be able to, you know, demonstrate what they're um, asking students to do. It's all synchronous as far as we know at this point, and that's what the PE teachers are currently doing is, is uh, synchronous instruction with their students. So we're going to teach PE lessons real time. Um, I think at the high school we're going to have about uh, 60 minutes to work with the students any way that we see fit. We've got a lot of flexibility, and so um, part of that time we may be doing synchronous you know, um, instruction and then maybe follow it up with an assignment that students would have to submit or complete before the end of that 60 minute time frame. Uh, with the middle school, it's a little bit shorter lesson, but um, we'll also have the opportunity to teach a little bit of health at the high school. So we haven't started. I don't have any stories to share yet, but I can that's the plan. And we're excited because we feel like it's an opportunity to not only learn more about how to be better with virtual teaching for physical education, but we're, we're going to be doing some research around it. We want to um, look at how best to kind of evaluate good teaching when it's online and maybe have a tool to be able to do that based on our work this semester. And also just, you know, understand the experiences of all of our, our uh, teacher candidates and the instructors and the people we're working with so that we can, um, hopefully if we have to do this again, we'll do a better job next time. Wow, that's great. And I think a lot of us are learning the teams and integration with the schools. Um, thank you, Colin. Next up is Carol Enke, if I said that right. Yes, you did. That was perfect. Um, yeah, Carol from Augsburg University in uh, Minneapolis, little Division Three school. Uh, I have a colleague in kinesiology who has two elementary age daughters. And as we were talking about what I was going to do for my elementary PE method, she said, what if I uh, got some of the parents whose children were doing distance learning to agree to bring their children to a, to a park and have your PE method students teach lessons to those, those elementary students. So that's what we're doing. We're going outside, we're social distancing, they're teaching the lessons. Uh, we had our first one last Tuesday. It went awesome. The elementary children loved it. The parents loved it. And certainly the Augsburg students loved it. And then the second half of the semester, we're going to do um, some synchronous teaching uh, with an elementary, an alum we have at an elementary. So my students are going to get a combination of both. Anybody else? Any final um, things you're doing to integrate? Um, yes, Elizabeth Sharp. Um, yeah, well, Kevin and I were talking about this in the chat, but we're uh, exploring the new world of virtual learning. And so we've always taught a homeschool class for our secondary and elementary methods on our campus. And we transitioned that for our secondary methods this fall fully online. And so my students um, are offering multiple activities in a five-week unit. They're learning how to put content on Google Classroom that the students have to do about an hour of something throughout the week, and then they get to teach a live class on Friday morning um, via Zoom. And so it has been a big learning curve in learning out how to set up the technology, how to get my students to record everything so I can watch it, how to figure all those pieces out. Um, but my students are so thankful that they get to be working with real kids. Um, and even though it's a little bit different, um, I think it will be a good skill for them because you know principals are going to be asking for the next couple of years, what if we go online? Can you teach online? And my kids will be able to say, oh yeah, I've taught two units online. It was only to six kids, but I've taught online and I know how to use Google Classroom. And so um, I just feel like that's a direction we're headed. So I'm kind of excited about that innovative piece of getting to start to bring that to my students and, and get field experience in a modified way. 
That's really nice that you can have that hands-on with, with actual kids. That's nice. Anybody else related to field experiences, whether it's student teaching or early field experience? Please I know, uh, yeah, I wanted to ask Jen to chime in here. She's uh, I was going to highlight some of the things that are um, that people are um, mentioning in the chat. So uh, a lot of people are mentioning the, the use of Atlas, which we've discussed a little bit in previous um, collaborative meetings. Um, I know UNC, we are using Atlas um, as a supplement. Uh, so we're trying to get students into the schools as much as possible. We have a mixed bag. So I'm currently teaching a health um, education methods course, and it's a, going to be a mix of some um, traditional observation and, and field experience in some of those schools that are allowing our students. And then um, we're also doing some virtual um, synchronous field experience where our, we just found out from our local district that they are not allowing any practicum students into the schools. Only student teachers are allowed, and they just made that announcement three days ago. So um, we are now switching over to have them um, observe live through Zoom. So they'll observe live um, classes going on, and then um, they'll also do some other, uh, similar to the other examples where they'll do some virtual teaching but then we're also supplementing with the use of Atlas. Um, and a lot of you are um, providing some examples of how you're using Atlas. Um, and that in Atlas, you can view pre-recorded uh, videos of teaching. Um, Jamie just mentioned that there are 38 cases on Atlas. So, um, and she's done some extensive training. So Jamie can um, give you more information. I know, I know a lot of you can. So um, thanks everyone for sharing um, those other ideas in the chat. Is there anyone else who would like to share? All right, well, thank you everyone. I think we're at a point where I'm gonna turn it over to the next phase, which um, Risto is gonna come in and talking about. I think a, a very popular one that people are gonna have, how are you handling activities and methods courses? Yeah, thanks Kaysen and Jen. Um, so this next section is about uh, methods courses and also the kind of pedagogy focused activity courses. I think a lot of us teach one or the other and sometimes that's all you teach. Um, so while you're kind of thinking about innovative things that you've done, what I want to kind of focus on and I'll, I'll start off and give some examples, but you know, obviously we're not in an ideal situation right now, but I've, I've realized that a lot of things that I've been forced to do for this class are things that I'm going to continue to do once this pandemic subsides. I've had, um, you know, in, I teach a field and invasion games course and I started using this uh, McGraw Hill book uh, and I'm not uh, hawking a McGraw Hill book for any reason here, but um, I'm going to put it in there and it's been, um, really good because it has allowed, um, back up a little bit, we did an online uh, teaching book club this summer. And in that online teaching book club, one of the things that uh, was brought up is doing low stakes quizzes um, that can be auto graded. So in larger classes, um, you're not doing the grading yourself, but they're being auto graded and students have as many times as possible to, to do the quizzes. So I've been able to embed um, that book has like 30 different sports. So in the field invasion games, it has five uh, main sports that are covered in there. So I'm able to um, add those. 
And in that class, um, it's the largest that we've had for the field innovation uh, games class for quite some time. So we have, I think, 32 or 34 students signed up. And um, there's, there's no way normally that I would have been able to have all of those students teach on the same day, but having them pick what skill they want to teach, do a short, you know, two to five minute video on teaching a skill, which also creates this um, skill for them in the future of maybe flipping their classroom or adding supplemental videos, something that's been helpful for, for them. So I have 30 plus students teaching this week. Again, I understand that it's not to a live student, but it is their first class in the Fed program. So, um, you know, those are things that I'm going to continue keeping um, in my secondary methods class. I've I've done basically basically all the work to be able to flip my classroom when the pandemic ends. And what I've realized, and Kevin's jumped in on uh, one of these sessions already to just come in and listen. And we're having really great, meaningful conversation on Zoom um, during office hours. Students are coming in, they're doing their, you know, reading, watching, listening, stuff like that outside of it. And then when we come in, we're talking about really important stuff about uh, about pedagogy. So I, I feel like those are just a couple ideas that um, I've really embraced. And I'd love to hear um, others who are teaching these classes that are doing something different or um, something that you feel like is, is working that you're going to keep. Hi, everybody. Can you hear me? Okay. Um, Kim Ballard from North Carolina. Um, I have, I'm lucky in a couple senses. I don't have anybody student teaching right now, but I have my secondary methods class, and um, we uh, have Monday, Wednesday, Friday for an hour. So the way I've split it up is Monday we're doing like studying stuff we would normally study within like um, uh, the book and whatnot. And then on Wednesdays we're doing more technology type stuff. And then on Friday they're creating, I'm making them do some of the lessons that they would do if they were teaching, et cetera, which they're going to be doing. So that's how I ended up splitting mine up. We're meeting on Zoom, um, totally remote. So that's been difficult for me. Um, I'm pretty tech savvy, but I, I, I like freaked out the first day. I thought I had it and I didn't. Uh, <laughs> so I, I, I had to really figure out some, some new and different things. Um, my kids, have these, this group is getting ready to go student teach. They'll do it in the spring. So I just feel like I have to get them ready for that um, primarily, just ready to go. Um, in the spring. So luckily I've done some professional development with the teachers that they're going to be going out with. I've been working with them some, so uh, we're already in tune with them. They're out, they're actually in, uh, zooming in with some of the teachers now, just kind of watching, getting to know some of the kids. They're not doing anything. They're not talking to them. They're just simply watching um, and then coming back and, you know, talking about some of the things they saw and whatnot and talking with the teacher just to get to get familiar with them basically. Um, another thing I did was I, in, I invited a bunch of people on Twitter, which I love, um, from all around the country to come in and sit in my class one day via zoom and introduce themselves and tell my kids what their classes look like. Cause they were different all over the place. And, um, some of the things that they were doing and what they were seeing and, and had them give my kids some advice. And I'll share this with you. Their, their best advice was as best you can give your kids any experience on schoolology, Canvas, Seesaw, Google Classroom, 
you know, cameras um, with Zoom, different kinds of things, you know, making sure they, they know what Zoom bombs are, um, that YouTube sometimes have blocks and, you know, just some of those kinds of things because those are, they're going to be working with some of those, you know, learning management systems and the more they have when they get out there, the better, you know, that they'll be. So now they're following them on Twitter and they're going to be um, looking at some of the stuff that they're putting out and bringing that back to the classroom and, and uh, sharing those and then teach they're going to teach even though they're teaching them to us right now they're going to still practice teaching on zoom so that's some of the stuff we're doing thanks kim um i appreciate that i think that those are the you know trying to keep up with the technology i know that the local school district here just said that they're going to move over to school schoolology going forward so now we're going to shift or I'm going to shift a couple of my assignments to be able to help them prepare for that. Um, and so anybody else want to, want to jump in? Hi everyone. Um, Helena, SUNY Cortland. Um, we're doing a lot of different things, but I wanted to let you know that in student teaching, all our students are taking a two credit class to prepare them for the technology demands right now before they're actually starting student teaching which includes go react and watermark and any of the assignments uh, we had to completely revamp our student teaching and i'd like to go back to the the first statement that jamie said which is what i believe in as well is we really had to look at reinventing all this and so everybody had to go back to their outcomes and really look what is the essence of my class and what do I really make sure that I could teach them. So for example, in my preschool class where we usually have one-on-one -on -one with preschoolers, we're going to be using Seesaw right now, but I know already from the spring, it's not the same, you know, it's, 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 they're going to video record the preschoolers and then share it with us. So then I kind of had to take a step back and saying, even though they're not getting that one-on-one -on -one, um, like pedagogical touches with the preschools, they still, it's about movement analysis. So in that sense, they're going to be going through that, but just through a lot of video. Um, every single one of my assignments and every single one of my courses, I kind of had to go back to basics and really look at my objectives and outcomes and see how do I make this engaging, authentic. So we're pulling in a lot of like virtual classrooms, a lot of technology. Also because, especially with our seniors, we have to now integrate some of these technologies because this may be the same in the spring. And in the spring, our student teachers won't necessarily have the two credit class to prepare them for the technology demands. So we're using a lot of different apps and different technologies. What, what I would like to see, and it's too early, but at some point, I'd like to get the faculty together and saying, okay, what are you, what did you choose to be great for your class? You know, as far as physical activity classes, methods classes, what are you using? So we can kind of look at it and see, okay, because I think we're kind of all over the place because everybody finds their own way and comfort with technology. So to kind of let them see what they're using, there's definitely some of the supportive technologies that were kind of pushed out. Um, but still, I think there'll be some other technologies that will pop up 
and it's a little early right now to see how how you know things are going um in my class i have a very high flex model so there's a ton of different opinions about that whether how you are creating your the model of teaching and how you're sharing your instruction with your students if they do become ill um, so there's a ton of talk about that um, so i'm just ready to either go you know if it's all virtual what happens versus if we're staying safe and we can keep teaching partially in class and partially online but i think it'll be really neat if we're if we do this again in a couple of weeks to see how things have shifted and how people are kind of gearing and leading into um using certain technologies that are really good like i'm starting seesaw but i'm not sure yet if that's going to work at all so fingers crossed there's Thanks, Selena. There's, so there's some really great ideas in the chat. And one thing I was also just going to bring up is we have um, at UNC, University of um, Northern Colorado, the other, the other UNC, um, we have um, professional disposition qualities that all of our teacher candidates across the university have to adhere to. And one of them is around professional initiative. And I've really been like harping on that one this year of this idea of you're going to have to take um, even more initiative for your own learning. So folks are putting in the chat things around like the free webinars and different things. And, um, you know, I think so often because we're used to being in more frequent contact with our students, particularly in methods classes, that we feed them a lot of those things and don't necessarily force them to take the initiative themselves. And so that's something I've really been doing in my methods classes this year so far is, you know, hey, take the initiative like this. You're going to get out of these experiences what you put in. And I think that that's really important is how we frame things for our students in these methods classes. And Risto, I'm not sure if you want to pick up on anything else that's coming out of the chat. The chat's so overwhelming. I'm watching the uh, hands go up here to make sure that I call on the next person. Um, but what I will, what I will do is um, we're going to download the chat. Um, most of the time after these meetings, we'll put up a blog post that kind of summarizes what happened. Um, so I put the address in there, the hpwebsite.com and then the audio. Uh, most of the times in these calls, I'm like halfway on the, on the chat and halfway like paying attention to whoever's speaking. So um, we'll put the audio up as well so you can listen to that again if you're not um, like 100% uh, paying attention to one so you get all the resources. Um, we still have a little bit for a few other people who want to talk um, while I'm anxiously waiting for those hands to go up. I will say this, I, I have been pushed uh, to organize my Blackboard page, my modules way better now that I'm doing online. Um, and I just picked up a course that I taught a year and a half ago and just like face palm myself, like how bad it was compared to what now I know how to organize it. So those are things that I think are gonna get carried over of how to plan and make sure that I, you know, for our students, there's, there's some students that you know, are so overwhelmed with having five or six online classes and they're missing certain assignments. 
And they do appreciate the email of saying, hey, just so you remember that this is due at this and this time, more so than we would have ever done. Uh, and then so I'm getting a bunch of people that are saying, I really appreciate you um, putting certain things like that out or like when they're due. So go ahead, Kevin. Uh, yeah, Aristo, I, I've actually picked up on a similar thing. Uh, we're, we're in week three here at the University of Illinois, and uh, the students just seem a bit more overwhelmed uh, than, than they typically do to me. And I think that that just is probably because of the pandemic and the mental and emotional health challenges that have come with that, along with the fact that they're now trying to manage all of this coursework in an online environment, and that might not be very comfortable for them. Um, but, but I've always, since I started teaching, I begin every uh, lecture or every class meeting session with a slide that says homework and upcoming events. And it's like, here's what you need to know that's coming up on the syllabus uh, for, for the next time that we meet. And then here are the big things that are coming down the road. And I usually spend about three, four, five minutes talking through that and I'll answer any questions they have. And, and I found that this semester more than even in the past, they really find comfort with that. Um, the other thing that I've been doing since I came to Illinois with one of my larger classes, but it's really working well this semester, um, is using Poll Everywhere, uh, which is an anonymous polling system. You can just poll Ev uh, online um, to find it. But um, I, I start with a slide in my large class that just says, what questions do you have about where we're going or where we've been? And it's anonymous and they can just throw out whatever questions or concerns they have and we can kind of use a few minutes to kind of dialogue through that. And I think you're right. I think it brings them a little bit of a sense of comfort. Thanks, Kevin. And uh, Helena just put up there too that uh, she's using more videos to explain assignments, which is something that I realized that I started doing as well of showing the rubric and showing the assignment and making a really quick PowerPoint to show, show it instead of relying that they're going to read through every single prompt because if we are one of five or six classes for those students, it's, it's a lot. So, uh, Helena, thanks. That was a, that's a good point in there as well. So I didn't know, can I ask a question to the group? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I just was wondering how, like one of the things that my colleague and I are struggling with, with in this related activity courses is that one of the things we should be creating competent movers and, and I, how do we overcome that? You know, I, I understand all the online thing. I do a lot of the stuff you're talking about teaching, you know, from home, but they have to be able to move and demonstrate, you know, a proper tennis serve. And I am struggling with that personally. And I didn't know if anybody has any recommendations. Well, I'll give you what I'm doing. I'm not sure if it's the right way to do things. Um, I have a rubric of X skills for five major field and invasion game sports. Um, I say that you have to show, like for Ultimate Frisbee, you have to show three, three grips or two different types of catches and these and these things. Um, and I have them teach those skills and then they go through and they eventually make a video for every single major sport throughout. And that's due week 11. They post it on online on discussion board, unless they have told me that they do not want their video posted on discussion board, then I'll individually assign them some other peer. But on week 11, they post it. And then week 12, the assignment is to go through and watch the skill videos of a partner. They grade their skills on, on a rubric and then turn that into the student they see what their score is, where they feel that they need to improve on, and they do it again 
uh, for week 15 on any skills that they're not at the competent level. So they have the whole entire semester to, to get to where they should be. Um, and then I tell them that they're allowed to, without any questions asked, say that they're not comfortable with the person's score. They want to do a regrade and then I'll, I'll grade those uh, students. But that kind of saves me from assessing 32 students and all of the skills. Um, but it also puts them into a long-term 15-week pattern of trying to build that competence, which they would have done if they were showing up to class and I was teaching in person. So other, other ideas there? There's so much in the chat. Um, I think Helena has something else to add to. Yeah, I was just going to say we're, we're constantly thinking about K-12 and we're asking the PE teachers to try to be synchronous and teach skill because a lot of times what we're reading and seeing is that our content knowledge is shifting through fitness physical activity and that's what we're seeing online snippets i'm already hearing my student teachers saying all we have to do is create three activity videos with games or more focused on fitness and so that's one of the questions that we're asking our student teaching is how can we shift that to make sure that we are addressing our content. So we have to show that we have to model this and in our in our physical activity classes. Is there a way for you to, to set up um, a web cam and web seminar where you're physically showing it demonstrating it. And then where you're physically looking at the students and giving them feedback every, you know, in the video. Um, I think that's something that we should try because we're expecting our teachers to do it. And we know that the evidence shows that that kind of feedback is the most effective for increasing performance. Um, so I know it, it may be more difficult for sure. Like Rista, you're mentioning it, like the, giving so many feedback to so many students. Uh, but I think having a combination between giving the videos um, asynchronous and then doing a peer check asynchronous and then maybe the first time you meet, you ask for some volunteers just like in your normal classroom to perform. Um, I think we have to kind of do that because if we're not doing it, they're not going to do it in K-12. Um, I agree with you, Helena. I also think, though, that it is a good time for us to strengthen uh, our teachers in the other content areas. A lot of times they focus so much on just the, you know, first standard um, that I think it is a good time for us to help them strengthen the other ones. I'm not saying not to do it, but I think we can highlight the others a little more. Thanks everybody. Uh, let's uh, move over to the uh, fourth topic. So I'll um, shift it over to uh, Kevin. Yeah, thank you, Risto. So um, as the final topic, uh, we, we just wanted to create a, a forum for where we can share some of the different ways that we're accessing professional, continuous professional development information. So for all the different things that, that we're having to do for our students, so that we are doing for our students, let me check my phrasing, that we are doing for our students to help improve their educational experience, many of those things might not be comfortable for us. You know, I, I for example, never taught a class online and now here I am this semester and all of my teaching is online. That was a bit of a shift for me and it was difficult. Uh, and for many of us, there's probably some scaling up that, that we probably have had to do in order to, to, to prepare for that. Um, but, but then also just other ways besides professional development, ways that we engage in you know, um, 
uh, connect professionally. Uh, both Shape America and AERA canceled their in-person meetings last year, and um, uh, AERA's uh, already said that they're doing a virtual meeting. Uh, I don't think Shape's made an announcement yet. So, you know, it's just, it, it's, it's kind of a difficult time and, and uh, we'd just love to hear, you know, how you all are connecting, what organizations or groups you're getting involved in, um, that kind of stuff. So anybody have any thoughts to share? Um, I'll jump in. So obviously the Peak Collaborative, <laughs> you're all here, right? So um, this is, I think, a really great opportunity for us to all connect and, and to network. And at the height of it today, we had 93 people on, which is quite amazing if you really think about it. Um, another thing I thought that was really fun, and it actually stemmed from, I think, the first Peak Collaborative, um, where Michael Hemphill mentioned the book Minds Online, and Risto hosted a little um, book club. A bunch of us posted on Twitter when our books came in the mail, and they all came around the same time. And so um, Risto hosted a book club, and we read Minds Online, and then invited the author of the book um, to do that. And Honestly, would I have read the book, had that book club, and I um, been not been organized, and Risto invited the author, so I actually had to know what I was talking about. Um, I'm not sure, um, but I learned so much, and it was, it was probably one of the first times in a long time that I've done something like that for my own kind of teaching growth, because I think so much of what we do um, in our professional um, development, right, like as faculty, particularly um, those of us that are research active, focuses more on going to conferences where we talk about research that is sometimes very separate from our teaching that we do. And so I think for myself, I've been focusing a lot more on finding, innovating my teaching um, versus um, things associated with research. And I wonder if that's the same for some other folks on the call. That's definitely been my experience, Jamie. Um, you know, our uh, our university did a summer institute, for example, to get everybody kind of skilled up on how to teach online. And um, my wife and I, who both teach for the university, went through that and found it to be pretty helpful. Risto, did you unmute? Yeah, uh, I was just going to say, Jamie, that was my first book club that I've ever done. So I didn't understand the pressure that you put yourself under to finish the book. To not I stayed up, I stayed up all night the night before finishing yeah. the book. So, uh, but I think, I think those things are exactly what we, we should be doing is we talk to our students about finding study groups to and building communities of practice and all this stuff. And I think this is one resource, but I think also having a couple colleagues from different places to have those conversations as well. And one of the things that I've, uh, I've set up and I'll put the uh, Zoom meeting link in, uh, in right now. It's for a conversation on model-based practice. So I've, had, I've seen this stuff on Twitter come across. People are always talking in these like very short spurts. And I think one of the things that we missed with conferences being canceled or going virtual is that sit-down conversation after a meeting or during someone's presentation that pushes a conversation forward so I invited David Kirk, Mike Messler, and Ash Casey, and people you know, in Spain and Portugal that do research on models-based practice, and they agreed to come. It's after, afternoon for them, it's noon time on the East Coast, it's 9 a.m. on the West Coast, and so if you wanna come in and just listen in, 
I don't feel like I'm uh, an expert on model space practice whatsoever, but I do enjoy the conversation. I enjoy listening and learning from, from those people. So um, if you want to just come in and chat or you have a doctoral student who is interested in model space practice, um, come on and join. Yeah, thank you, Risto. Um, anybody else have kind of some additional thoughts or other ways that you're per, uh, engaging professionally or you know, maybe shamelessly plugging some other groups that you're involved in? I mean, I think that that's another function of us coming together in this way, right? To be able to find other ways to connect that are meaningful for us as individuals. Uh, I'll share quickly. Thanks. Um, thanks very much, guys. I appreciate everyone putting this call together. This has been, this is a per probably the most uh, important example as far as my experiences have been just in terms of connecting in ways that I've never had before. Um, and I mean, more frequently and really in more engaged ways and not just with teaching and professional development, but also with research for me. Um, I, I have been involved with more meetings, I think, <laughs> which has been um, in some ways exhausting since mid-March, but also incredibly um, just helpful in many ways. Uh, the, the community environment that we have in our profession and in our field in teacher education and um, physical education it's incredible. I don't think I've ever um, realized that we have this much connectivity uh, and the potential for connectivity that, that I've realized through this experience. So I, you know, I think like a lot of people, everything started very much kind of in a negative way for me, but, um, and I, I'm very much looking forward to getting back in person with, you know, conferences and teaching and everything else. But uh, there are so many things that I have learned, so many positive things that I've learned um, just getting to know people, so many different people that I, I don't think I would have ever connected with or met had it not been for this COVID situation and all of the virtual experiences that I've been engaged with. Um, and it's, yeah, so I, I feel like, um, you know, part of it is just a glass half full perspective, I guess, going into it as much as possible and trying to uh, take advantage of an opportunity. But it is, it is uh, just really a rewarding thing to, to know that I'm, you know, a part of such an incredible community of people. And it's just, I'm not sure if I would have necessarily gained that same perspective in the same way had it not been for this situation. Yeah, Colin, and that's, I think, right in line with the, the tone that, that we tried to set with today's session, right? You know, th there have been some challenges with COVID for sure, but it's also given us the opportunity to do some things that we haven't done before that, that might have some good. And I think that the conversations that have started here and branched off and gone in other directions and, and those that have been started by other groups and organizations are great examples of different ways that we can connect that, that many of us probably hadn't done in the past. I mean, I, I never attended meetings like this before. COVID had, and I, and I probably could have, I just didn't, but I will be moving forward now. Erin, uh, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to mention that I know the AERA physical education SIG, so it's research and learning and teaching. Learning and instruction in physical education, RILPE. Yeah, um, so they're going to be hosting some like monthly webinar chat type functions, and so that might be a place to be able to gain knowledge about research that's going on, but then also be able to communicate with scholars, not only in the US, but internationally as well. And I'm sure Risto or someone can put a link to like the Twitter page so you can follow along on Twitter um, to the AERA SIG when those sessions are gonna be. Yeah, and I, and I would just say that, um, I, I don't know if he'll plug it himself, but Risto has uh, started a podcast. It's been going for uh, well over a year. Is it a year now, Risto? Or has it been longer than that? 
two years. So two years. Um, and, and that's, uh, you know, another way that I think we can, we can engage and, and find other ways to get information. And uh, uh, I've actually started integrating some of those podcast episodes into some of the classes that I teach. I'm teaching an elementary methods course, and there's a podcast episode overviewing the skill teams approach. So real easy for me to pull that in. And then I sub that in for a reading. So the students were excited. They got to listen to Risto and I talk about skill themes rather than read another chapter out of the book. Um, but other, uh, other comments, questions, things to contribute? Risto, do you want to say anything more about the podcast since I just brought it up? Um, no, I'll just uh, post if you, uh, if you don't know about this. Um, I have... I have to update this, but up until uh, the end of pretty much the last season or last March-ish, I've updated uh, the episodes by topic. So if you're looking for model space practice, um, you can go in and link through there. Or um, if you're looking at technology or social justice or something like that, you can go through and check through them. Um, so that's, um, that's available there as well. Yeah, awesome. Um, so any, any other thoughts, anything else, anybody else would like to contribute? Otherwise, um, we can start kind of winding down and uh, getting ready to wrap up. Um, and, and Jamie, uh, I, I can hand it over to you for closure. Great, thanks. Um, Kevin and Risto and Jen and Kaysen and Emily and um, Chad, who's also part of our group, Killian, who is not here because he um, had a baby this week. Well, he didn't have a baby, but his partner did. Um, and so... Um, we're thankful everybody was able to be here. Um, Kaysen just put into the chat um, thoughts on next month's topic. We do want this to be something that is very useful to the community and um, want to hear people's opinions on um, what we would like to talk about as a group. So um, my job is to close out and um, I think that there were so many things. I do not envy Risto for having to summarize this into a blog. Um, so good luck with that, Risto. Um, I just want to say that I, I loved the positive tone and supportive nature of this call. I do think that sometimes it's so much easier to focus on the pieces of the conversation that are more challenging and that can kind of get us down. And I sat here um, listening and just so positive and encouraging. And even in the chat, just people throwing around ideas and ways that we can support each other. And so I think that that really reiterates the fact that you're not alone. Um, and really thinking about us as being a flexible community and finding strategies that we'll continue to use in our teaching. I think Risto mentioned that, that he's doing things um, in his teaching now because of the pandemic that he's going to continue to do, and I'm the same. And so really thinking about innovation and how we can move forward as a field, um, you know, it's not going to be the same. I think Helena said that in one of her comments. Uh, what we're doing is not going to be the same, but that doesn't mean that it doesn't have to be great still, and it could even be better than some of the experiences that, you know, we've just sort of recycled over and over again and, and maybe failed to innovate sometimes. And so um, I just want to thank everybody for being here. Um, I want to remind you of the next call. Um, we'll always be meeting 
on, is it the third? What is this? The second Thursday of the month at 4 p.m. Eastern. Um, and so just be looking out for the next call um, next month. And um, please, um, if you are posting on Twitter or anything, use the hashtag at home Pete um, so that we can continue to collaborate and connect in that way. If you use Pete at home, that's going to be Pete Buttigieg. So let's use at home Pete instead, um, unless you're really interested in following Pete Buttigieg. Um, and so thank you all so much for being here. Um, we appreciate you spending your Thursday afternoon or evening with us and we will see you all next month.